monastery that had arisen in the Buddhist religion. It's called Weluwanarama in India. Anyone who goes to India can still go to that monastery today, what's left of it, and recollect that occasion. All these uh, venerables came together from different parts of India after the Buddha was enlightened and he started teaching. He had sent the first group of 60 arahants out to teach. He said, all go in different corners, different directions, so that you can maximize the benefit for all people that you meet. You can teach them how to be more peaceful, find happiness in their lives, spreading the, uh, the teachings of the Buddha. So they'd gone all over India, many hundreds of kilometers walking. But on this occasion, many of them returned all on the same day without any prior arrangement. No SMS, mobile phone, internet, TV, nothing. One of those, you might say, miracles. They all came together on the same day. And then the Buddha gave a teaching, which we just chanted, what we call Awada Patimokha. Awada means teaching. Patimokha is particularly refers to the, what we call monastic discipline, all the rules of training of Buddhist monks, which form a very important part of our practice, what we call sila, or virtue. For lay people, we have the five precepts, the five sila, five virtues we might try and practice in daily life. So, practicing to avoid killing, avoid stealing, avoid sexual misconduct, avoid lying and harmful speech, and avoid taking drink or intoxicants or drugs. Very simple guidelines for skillful harmless living in the world, but not always easy to follow. The Buddha, on this occasion, he gave this teaching just to summarize very, very simply, easily, what, what we do as, practice, as, as Buddhism, Buddhists, practicing Buddhists. How do we practice? We practice, we refrain from the unwholesome or evil, sabba, pa, pasa, akaranang, bapa, or in Thai we say bap, means unwholesome, unskillful, evil behavior that harms ourselves, harms others. We have to try to avoid that, refrain from that, which we're doing much of the time, but sometimes we have to put a lot of effort to avoid doing something that might harm ourselves or others. Second part of the teaching, kusala supasampata, we say perfecting or developing that which is good. So learning to live in a more virtuous way, good way, helping oneself, helping others. 
the last part, satchitta pariyotapanang, purifying one's mind, which points directly to meditation, practice of learning to calm, concentrate the mind, calm it down, and then vipassana, insight, developing clear insight into the nature of our existence as human beings. To see our, this world we live in, and ourselves, this body, this mind, we call a person, and then this world we live in, what is its true nature? Developing insight means developing wisdom, using our intelligence to look and investigate more closely at the way things are, so that we can understand for ourselves and bring the mind to peace because we understand the way things are. We're no longer confused, deluded. So purifying the mind. And then the Buddha pointed out the quality that supports that practice very useful is patience and endurance. Kanti paramangta potitika. As we all know, anyone who's practiced meditation, just like this evening, you're sitting here, you have to practice patience with your own mind, which may be restless or agitated, or your body, who may be having some pain or itchy or just feeling hot, tired. And meditation teaches us patience and obviously many other aspects of our life. We, we're learning patience and we use patience. And the Buddha said this is the most valuable quality for developing our minds, developing our practice. If we don't have patience, we should look. Well, when we don't have patience, what's it, what's it like? What are the disadvantages when we lose our patience, what happens? Well, we all know we've all been impatient before. We get frustrated, restless, we complain, we're discontent, we're unhappy. <laughs> all kinds of different mind states we associate with impatience. We are learning to use patience and summon it up, bring it up as a quality that helps us in all aspects of life with our meditation, with uh, our family life, with our work, with all the things we're doing. We use patience as a skillful means and often it simply just means be willing to be with things which we don't necessarily want or find it comfortable or the best for us but to be patient with conditions, the way things are, the weather, our life, our body, if our body sometimes not so well, to be patient with it, to be patient with the people around us, our family, friends, work colleagues, neighbours, be patient with the broader kind of things in life like the economy or society or the weather. You know. But all of this requires patience. So it's something we practice and we see, well, when we don't have patience, we're suffering. We lose, we lose our patience, we lose our peace of mind. So it's in our own interest to practice patience. A very, very important quality in life that we have to work 
to bring up. And sometimes it's hard, isn't it? Not always easy, because we face many difficulties in our life. But still it gives us the right direction to go in, how to find more patience with the problems that we face. So the Buddha gave this teaching, a very simple guideline to living in the world to find more peace, more happiness. You avoid doing things that cause harm to yourself and others. Do more good, develop more good in your life. And then try to free your mind from stress and suffering through developing the qualities of patience, mindfulness, insight. A simple model for living in the world that we can keep coming back to over and over again. It doesn't take a lot to learn. Refrain from evil, do good, purify your mind. Very simple. We can use that as almost like a mantra or a reflection on a daily basis. Whether I'm on the path, the Buddhist path or not, you can use these reflections to help you, guide you. When we come to practice meditation, we'll see you know, the things that we're working with, nothing very unusual. We're just learning to understand and come to more peace in our own minds, our own hearts and minds. So we have two aspects of meditation. Someone was asking today, how do you meditate? What, what are you, what's the purpose of it? Well, the Two aspects of meditation we're learning to, first of all, to calm down, because most of us are too agitated. I know when I started meditation, I was very easily agitated by life, more that life brings us, the ups and downs. We have pleasant experiences, agitate us in one way. We get very excited, happy, probably overexcited over-attached to the pleasant things, wish they would last forever. Or we get agitated by the unpleasant things that come along in our lives. Things go wrong, mistakes, failures, different unpleasant situations, unpleasant feelings, unpleasant memories, unpleasant external things, what other people do to us and so on. Learning how to calm the mind with the ups and downs of life. It's the first purpose of meditation. Learning to the skill of just calming down even if your mind is thinking all over the place. You're learning how to develop a meditation object. So the most commonly used one we use is the breath maybe. Breath meditation but there are many others that we can use. But the aim of any meditation, always learning how to calm down, relax. And often we can do it very simply. Right? You know, Say you are very stirred up in some way, just to take the time to sit down and f- pay attention to your own breathing, maybe at the tip of the nostrils. And just breathe in, breathe out for a few moments. Already you probably feel better at that time if you're experiencing some stress, some pain, some 
problem. You just calm yourself down by following the breath in, the breath out for a, for a while. Already you'll feel better. You'll feel more rested, more relaxed. That leads on to the second part of meditation, you're learning to investigate or look more closely at our own minds and particularly to see how stress forms, how suffering arises. Because we all want to free ourselves from stress. Nobody likes stress, suffering. We'll learn to look more closely and see how stress is really a grasping or holding on to negative thoughts, unskillful thoughts, moods, reactions. We grasp onto them and then that makes us feel stressed. And as long as we keep grasping and attaching to those moods, then we'll keep feeling stressed. So when you can see that, your mind calms down, you start to see what you're doing. You're learning just to let go, relax and let go of things, allow the impermanent nature of our own thoughts and moods to show itself, just allow thoughts to come up and go away again. Anyone practicing meditation might experience this. When you meditate, breathe in, breathe out. You just watch your own thoughts. They come up and then they go away again. Whether it's a good thought, an ordinary thought, a bad thought, it rises, pass away, arise, pass away. This is what we call insight. Seeing the changing nature of our own mind, our thoughts, our moods. And that helps us to be more free when we do that, when we have that insight. You notice any time you start to calm down and use, use these teachings more to direct them more to your own mind, to help understand and let go of stress, you feel better. You know, that's why we practice. We, want to warn, we all want to feel happy and well inside. You see, that's the flavor of Dhamma practice or following these teachings. It makes you feel better. There's no other reason why we do it. There's one teacher in Thailand, Lumpur Gassim, who used to live in Lampang province in northern Thailand. He used to have a saying, what did he say? Kit Haiman Yen Jai. Kit means the way you think. Yen Jai, Yen means cool. Jai means mind or heart. So you have to learn how to think to make your mind cool calm down, to be cool. A great skill on a day like today, which is a nice hot day. It'd be great if you could have a cool, peaceful mind on a hot day. But how do you achieve that? You have to learn how to use your mind to think in the right way that you will cool down internally. If you have a cool mind, then generally, physically, you feel a bit better as well. You feel cooler on a hot day. So he said you have to learn how to direct your mind, train it, use it in a skillful way to calm down, to be cooler. It goes with the practice of patience, doesn't it? When we're impatient, we're hot. When we're impatient, we tend to think fast, think in a hot-headed way. We react, we get upset, we get angry and so on. When you learn to bring up more mindfulness, more awareness, relax, calm the mind, then you can think more clearly and the mind cools down. So your thoughts become cool. But then he had another saying actually, he said, Kit Haiman Yen Sabai, that's what he said, the first 
phrase. And then he had another teaching, he said, Kit may ben sabai jai lui. Which is a strange one, probably. You have to think about that, especially the Thais, you have to think about that. Kit may ben means not thinking at all. Sabai Jai means completely happy, completely content, not thinking at all. So in terms of the practice of meditation, it's actually a more difficult practice, a higher practice. Learning actually to let go of all your thoughts and just focus the mind on one thing, so maybe the breath. Just learning to do that, let go of all the good thoughts, the bad thoughts, the thoughts about yesterday and the past, thoughts about the future. Just to focus the mind in the present moment on the breath going in, breath going out. Not creating anything in the mind, not imagining or daydreaming. Just allowing the mind to go quiet and still using a meditation technique. That's a very special thing. That's an even deeper kind of coolness where you just actually let go of the thinking process completely. You're still awake. You're not hypnotized or in a trance. You actually bring the mind to focus on the breath to the point where it stops thinking. It's just aware, it's knowing, but it's peaceful. This is what we're learning in meditation. We're learning how to, first of all, calm the mind and bring up more skillful, more useful thoughts. And ultimately, ultimately, we're learning how to let go of all the thoughts and just make the mind very, very quiet and still. Then you can really see things clearly and you can find, experience a great happiness, right? great coolness inside. That's you know, why we practice, I would imagine. Most, most of us are the same. We, we want to be more peaceful, find more peace, more happiness in our life. Where, we, where do we find peace and happiness? It has to be inside, internally, coming through our own efforts, learning to calm the mind down and understand it better. Obviously outside is important as well, so we, it's maybe why we come to a place like this, a Buddhist monastery, it's a peaceful place, in the forest, in the mountains, it's quiet, nice peaceful place, that helps. It's a good start, but then we also have to learn how to find peace in, inwardly, inside our own hearts. That's important, or even more important. In the time of the Buddha, like one of the first disciples of the Buddha, after his enlightenment, a young man called Yasa. The reason Yasa came to see the Buddha is because he's living, he's a very wealthy, quite wealthy family, but he's living... In, the time, in that time, he found it troublesome. He had a big household. His parents were quite wealthy. He had servants and they had a business, lots of people working for them. But he always found it very kind of troublesome living there. Lots of things he had to organize. Even in sort of the times when it was supposed to be in times of enjoyment, they had, they had nice parties and music and dancing, all kinds of things. He said, oh, this is really troublesome and confusing here. And his mind was always full of restless, agitated thoughts. So he always had this feeling in the back of his head, oh, I'd really like to find somewhere more peaceful than this. Maybe he'd been 
practicing meditation in a previous life, we say. But anyway, one day, they had a big party at his parents' house. Lots of people came, lots of nice food, music, dancing. But during the middle of the night, everyone kind of crashed out. <laughs> everyone just lay down where they were. Half of them had been drunk, and lying down. And he woke up in the middle of the night, he saw the kind of the mess, <laughs> the post-party mess. Everybody lying on the floor, kind of not very, looking very nice. All the ladies, all their makeup was stained and they were snoring and dribbling. And <laughs> the men were just lying on their backs with their bellies going up and down. He looked around and he said, oh, what an awful sight. And he just fed up. So he left the house with his thought, oh, I just want to find somewhere more peaceful than this. So off he went walking and walking and he walked through the town and then out of the town into the countryside and just by chance he came across the forest where the Buddha was staying. You know, this is good luck. And he walked towards the Buddha, he was sitting meditation, it was like dawn, early in the morning, the Buddha was sitting there and the Buddha saw him coming and called out and said, oh yes sir, come over here. And he was astonished, he said, how, how on earth did the this monk know my name, never met him before. So he was very impressed. So he came, sat down next to the Buddha, and the Buddha sort of started talking to him and said, so what's up? And he said, oh, my home, my own life is so full of trouble, so full of confusion, it's not peaceful at all. And the Buddha said, oh, this, this place, this forest, very peaceful, no trouble here, no, not confusing here. So he's really interesting. First of all, he was impressed that the Buddha knew his name. Then when the Buddha said, this is a place that's nice and peaceful, he thought, oh, this is good, just what I want. Then the Buddha taught him about meditation, how to calm the mind, taught him about vipassana, how to contemplate, develop insight, see the impermanent nature of this world and the things of this world. And there and then he became enlightened. One of those lucky ones who, born in the time of the Buddha, meets a Buddha, enlightened very, very quickly, just listening to the Buddha teach. So he became a monk. All of us probably have some of that yearning sometimes. You know, we're looking for more peace in our lives, and that's what brings us to meditation thing to do is keep bringing up that, that yearning, that interest to look for more peace and keep turning inwards, not always seek happiness outwards. And what we tend to do as human beings is we always look for our happiness in the world around us. Like we tend to think, well, if I've got a lot of wealth and money and my health is good, then I'll be happy. But probably most of us will agree that's not a guarantee of happiness. Our possessions, our wealth is a very uncertain thing. It doesn't last forever. This time of the year, we, out here in the countryside, you can see, not sure, maybe bushfire comes and you can lose your house very quickly. Or if you live up in Queensland, like Ajahn Damasia lives in Queensland, maybe the rain rains so much, maybe your, your, your house gets washed away by the floodwaters. You know, possessions, material things are not an ultimate refuge. And yet we often put all our, invest all our happiness in our, our wealth, but it's not a sure thing. 
Our health is not certain either. We don't know how long our good health will last. We all want to be healthy and live a long healthy life, but very difficult to guarantee. We don't know if we'll get ill or have an accident. It's uncertain. So uncertain, we don't even want to think of the thought, do we? Oh, don't think of the thought, getting ill. Oh, it's the last thing we want to think of. Getting cancer or heart disease or diabetes or something. It's the last thing you would want to think of, isn't it? Because you know oh, that would be suffering. And yet we tend to do that. We put all our hopes in these more external things. So what the Buddha did, he pointed out, well, they're not really the ultimate or the best refuge. Obviously, it's good to have some wealth so we've got enough to eat and a place to live. If we've got good health, that's great good fortune indeed. But it's not the ultimate, is it? The, the, the most important thing is a peaceful mind, learning that. And this is why we come to practice. We come to practice to learn to meditate, learn to calm the mind down more. And then learn to see the mind, know it better. And to learn how to let go of stress, bring up more skillful thoughts, use our mind in this way to cool itself down. You learn how to keep the mind cool, or if it's not cool, well, to cool it down when it's hot. Using these techniques, and that's the most useful thing we can do for ourselves. A peaceful mind, you know, it's the highest happiness, isn't it? Where does a peaceful mind come from? It comes from practice. We have to learn to practice, train. So tonight, talked a little bit about meditation and why we do it and how we practice. <laughs> 